With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Florida man CJ is here. You could tell by the sunglasses, the golf polo. I feel like you're you're gonna. Are you getting some golf in before you leave Florida? Or man, you you got a twisted view of what covering the Stanley Cup playoffs is. If you think anyone is, to <laughs> it is all day, every day, in the best way possible. I love it. Certainly, no complaint. But uh, I've been I've been burning it at both ends. So needed the sunglasses today. It was a short night of sleep. How many hours of sleep did you get? About four and a half, five, you know, by the time I, I filed last night and, and after game four here in Tampa, up early doing the pod with you guys and then, uh, you know, flying back to Toronto today for, for game five tomorrow. And I'll be back in Tampa in two days time. I mean, that's I mean, it's it's the best time of year. As I said, it's certainly not a complaint, but it uh, it's uh, it's a challenge on the body at times. Jeez, like, and how do you offset that? Because I imagine if you're doing all of these different trips back and forth or just covering games, that is an easy way for you to just eat like crap, like ordering in food, pizza, like whatever. Like, how do you stay disciplined with like what you're eating and drinking over these over like when you're covering a postseason series? I don't know if I have stayed too disciplined, so I'm, I'm not sure I can uh, trump it. <laughs> You know, I, I've kept getting my runs in. I went this morning at seven, so that that helped. Uh, drink lots of water, and then just try not to eat too much food. But honestly, being in the rink, like Tampa has a great pregame bill, eight dollars US, untouched by inflation. One of the only things in our society. And hey. the food's good, and they got an ice cream bar. And Florida CJ just can't say no to that ice cream bar. <laughs> and- <laughs> And then second intermission, when I really don't need to be eating anymore, they bring up like these these chicken fingers, and yeah, oh. so I'm, I'm, I've fallen off the wagon slightly in terms of uh, keeping the, the the health lockdown. But you know, it's it's a short time year. Mix in a salad today and get right back on course. It seems like uh, Emily Arena seems like a pretty good spot to be. I mean, we've talked you've talked about how there's like a cool bar, like cool spots to eat, and bars around the arena. Uh, it seems like it's pretty helpful too. There's like a, there's like a guy uh, who works in the press box named Alex, who seems to be pretty helpful. You were talking about that in the group chat the other day. Yeah. I, I walk into the arena for game one and he was working at the credential table and he's like, love the show. And it's funny. Oh, I, actually, shoot. I was out at Leafs practice the, on the off day between games three and four and, and the, the, the suburban rink in Brandon, Florida. And the first thing I walk in that rink and someone came ripping over and, and listens to the show. So it's it's cool. We got uh, we got people listening everywhere, Julian. Um, we appreciate everyone who takes the time, and it's it's actually cool to come down here and and meet a few people that are are listening to us that, that are you know working around the Lightning or, or fans, you know, hanging out at the rink. So yeah, it's I, I love it here. Honestly, I, I think it's it's got to be one of the top places to go watch your favorite team play. Um, just because look, the weather's almost always great. Very relaxed atmosphere fun building the lightning are a great team you know like lots of great players to watch when you're at one of their games i I just think it's it's a pretty pretty cool setup if you're looking to spend a couple days and and quite honestly it seemed like a number of toronto people did that i had a couple people on the flight saying that they found it as cheap basically to fly down here and and eat the associated costs to go to a game than, than getting tickets 
at Scotiabank Arena. So it's it's not something even in the playoffs. Uh, it's it's a pretty good place to spend a road trip. So could you imagine if the Leafs win Game Five of that series and they have a chance to clinch a first round series victory for the first time since two thousand four in Tampa Bay? I'm getting the vibe that like it's cheaper to fly down to Florida and watch them clinch history as opposed to maybe if it goes seven, you're trying to get into the Toronto building. How wild is that? It, I mean, I don't know if it's actually cheaper, but it's, it's the fact that I guess it's a conversation tells the whole story. Um, but look, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into the series a little bit until, yes. until this Leafs team wins a, game, a fourth game in a series, they haven't done it. And, and, you know, not to, to be too hard on them. Obviously game four was, was pretty disastrous in terms of, you know, just, just how little pushback they had in the game, how easily Tampa took control and, and comfortably they, they, they even things up. Um, you know, even if the Leafs are to win game five until you see them do it, it's going to be in everyone's mind. You know, they were up on Boston, you know, one of those years, three, two and lost a series going home for game six. They obviously were up three, one on Montreal with home ice advantage and, and lost two games at Scotiabank arena and one other at the bell center. Mm. And so until you see them do it, they haven't done it. And, and in the meantime, Steve Dangle's heart rate just surges through the roof. Oh my God. I, I wonder if there's any prop bets on that. I'm going to ask David Bastel when we talk to him a little bit later, there is something that I've noticed from that Toronto Tampa series. And yes, we're going to get into that and some other headlines from some of the other playoff series that have been going on to this point. And of course, because it's Monday, we'll get to ask CJ. But the blowouts, like Toronto and Tampa, in each of these games, we haven't seen too many close, tight games. It's not just something that is affecting that series. A lot of different series uh, have been seeing a lot of these you know, blown out games. There's been like very few one score games. I know we've had a few overtime periods, but that's a trend I've, I've noticed. Like I think two days ago, Arpin Basu, our good friend Arpin, uh, was tweeting how he counted, I think, four games that ended with one goal margins. And I think he may or may not have been counting games that were pretty close and then just extended by uh, an empty net goal near the end. But there have been quite a few games where the, the goal margins have been more than two or three, you know? Well, this is a potential downside, I suppose, if you want to say it, of having so much scoring. I mean, we're seeing scoring up across the league still in, in the playoff games. I mean, it, the trend that that we identified and discussed in the regular season hasn't gone anywhere. And, you know, I have to think that the number of penalties being called is a factor here. You know, we're just seeing way more power plays than we're used to in the playoffs. It's clear the referees have stuck to a, a standard, you know, I, I personally don't have a huge issue with that as long as it sort of maintains some level of consistency uh, because I think there's a chance then for the teams and the players to adjust to it. Um, but, you know, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but it, it's definitely it's definitely a factor. You know, just being around this Leafs Lightning series, you know, there's a lot of discussion about just a, a surprise, like an open surprise from the coaches and players about how much is, is being called. The Leafs, as we're recording this, actually lead – the, the playoffs and, and penalties taken, which, you know, if you watch so much during the regular season, it's not really part of their DNA was not, a, was not an issue. They really ever had to deal with, frankly, they, they just weren't that heavily penalized of a team. And so, you know, I think that that's, that's having some factor here. You know, this series has been weird. One team is led at, by three goals in each of the four games at a certain point. I mean, three of the four games have been three, nothing for one team, over the other, the other started two nothing for the Leafs game two or game three rather. Uh, just, just a strange, strange series. Like I, it almost makes it harder to feel like you can predict anything or like, like I don't know what's going to happen. My buddy was texting me this morning, like, think the Leafs can come back? I was like, well, of course they can come back. It's two two. They got home ice. I mean, um, if if you erase the way what you just saw Sunday night and just look at the objective facts of the series, you know, they're right there in it to, with a great chance to, to beat the two-time defending champs. But it feels strange when you see one team or the other just get, you know, beaten so in such a one-sided manner. So a um, bit of a, bit of a strange first week of the playoffs. I don't know if it's going to continue, but um, I, I can't imagine it's going to, we're going to see six, nothing, eight, two games all the way through the playoffs, but, but who knows, man, it's uh, we live in strange times. Well, at least in, in the Toronto-Tampa series, we've seen, what, three goalies? Because Eric Chagrin got to play a little bit in game four. 
Well, then again, there are a few other series where we've seen three goalies as well. I mean, I'm thinking normally like 16 teams start off in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So you're guaranteed to see at least 16. But Pyotr Kachekov, Louis Domingue, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones who have appeared in the Stanley Cup playoffs for different reasons. Casey DeSmith, who is, well, I mean, was filling in for Tristan Jarrett, who was skating the other day, but who knows when he's ready to play. We've seen so many goalies get into the Stanley Cup playoffs so far. That has also been a very striking trend. It is, you know, and, and that one, that one to me feels more random. Like, why does a player get injured? I mean, it's, it's, you know, obviously injuries are part of this sport and pretty much every sport, but there, there's been a lot at that one position. You know, we haven't seen a couple goalies too. Like we haven't seen Frederick Anderson for Carolina yet. We haven't seen Tristan Jari. Uh, you know, obviously those guys want to get back. You know, we haven't seen UC Saros. I, you know, I think unfortunately he's not going to be able to play for the Predators. They're in, in real tough against Colorado, but that's opened the door for the number two and number three in the Predators organization to, to be playing these games. It, it's, it's a, a hard one to figure. You know, he said Darcy Kemper, unfortunately take that stick through his mask and, you know, he's out of the game. I mean, it just feels like there, there's a lot of random shit going on. Uh, no, no, <laughs> yes. no, no, better, no better way for me to analyze it than that. And, and so we, we've seen all these goalies and, you know, some of them have been great stories. I know we talked about Ingram, you know, the, having 50 saves in a game. Um, but, you know, it's, it's got to spike the heart rate of coaches and, and the organizations because um, it's hard, hard to win a Stanley Cup with your third goaltender. It's not, not impossible. We've seen miracle runs in the past. There was a point where Ken Dryden was, was relatively unproven. He takes the Montreal Canadiens all the way to the Stanley Cup. So there's, there's history there. Ken Ward in, in Carolina in 2006 was, was relatively unproven. I mean, it, it, it can happen, but, um, you know, depth right now is a benefit because unfortunately no goalie seems too safe for too long. By the way, uh, we shouldn't also forget Jordan Bennington getting back into the goalie net. I mean, that's purely off a performance issue filling in for Billy Husso. Uh, Jeremy Swayman in the last two games has helped Boston get back into their series against Carolina in relief of Linus Allmark. Jonathan Quick, Kyle Peterson. I mean, yes. You're almost a weird team if you're a weekend of the playoffs and you haven't used two goalies. Like like more teams have used two goaltenders than have used one at this point. It's, I mean, it's, that, that's strange. But look, that's a reflection of the blowouts too. In some cases, that's performance related. It's not all been, been injuries. Um, but this is a star-crossed year. It makes me think something weird is going to happen in the playoffs in general. Just, just all these sort of trends or, or things that we're not used to seeing keep happening. And maybe that means we're in for a different kind of champion or a different kind of playoffs in general. I remember, I'm trying to remember which group chat I put this in, but <laughs> I put in as a bold prediction, we would see an e-bug during the playoffs. And I was kind of did it as like a joke, but at this rate, I almost feel like we might see it. I feel like we might see it. There's a chance. I got to say, I'm, I've liked those e-bug stories. Um, you know, I was in Toronto and there's, there's been a couple, you know, the Leafs had a guy on the bench this year, Alex Bishop, uh, university goaltender as a backup, you know, obviously David Ayer's game. Like, I think they can be kind of neat stories and, and allows everyone to dream. Like, imagine getting into an NHL game, you're basically a beer leaguer. But we don't need to see that in the playoffs. I mean, it's, it's, that's, that would be unfortunate. And so I hope that you haven't put that energy in the universe, Julian, because uh, – I think, I think there's a fine line between a good story and then something that, that's kind of an embarrassment to the league or something that, that, that doesn't reflect very kindly on, on what's the most important time of year for the NHL. Okay, hold on a second. Let me, let me hold off on that. So let's not hold off, but let me go in on that a little bit more. Why would that be an embarrassment for that to happen in the playoffs, even if there is the potential of a very good story? Because game 48 of 82 really doesn't matter. I mean, look, we, we like the games. The playoff races can be tight. Every game does, quote, unquote, matter. But I think when you when you have a goaltender go in and, and it's an e-bug situation, okay, we can sort of turn a blind eye to the competitive imbalance part of it. I, I just think every playoff game matters so much. I mean, it's why we care. You, you can't say that, that anything that happens in any of these games isn't important to the series. And so – you know, if generally if an e-bug's going in, his team really has no chance of realistic chance of winning. I realized the David Ayers thing. I, I remember the history. Scott Foster came in for a couple minutes uh, in Chicago a few years ago, and they managed to hold on to a win. But I, I just think in general, 
you, you're seeing an e-bug come in and that team's toast. And, and yeah, I just, with, with how, how much is riding on the line? I, I don't think that that's the right look. Uh, and, and, you know, Gary Bettman was actually in Tampa this week and, and was asked about e-bugs and, and basically said, you know, in his view, it's not yet an issue because, because on a sort of, if you look at the whole history, this hasn't happened too much. And he said, but if it, if, if it, something changes our mind, you know, we'll, we'll look at changing the rule. And so I, I feel like an e-bug coming in in a playoff situation and it going horribly, that, that could be enough to change a rule where maybe teams can carry a third goaltender like we saw during the COVID season or, or what have you. So, yeah, I, I love the stories. I'm not picking on any of the e-bugs that get thrown into those games. I even know of a couple guys that are e-bugs in various arenas around the league. And, and yeah, I know that they're just helping out and, and, and whatever, but I, I think it'd be a, a bad look in a play two, two playoff game, game five of a pivotal series that's tied. And, and you got to put in a guy from, from, you know, the, the nosebleeds to play in that. I just, I, I don't think that would be good for anyone. That's very, that, that's a fair point, especially if that game could, I mean, every game, every moment matters in the Stanley cup playoffs. It could essentially influence a series. That's a fair point. Yeah. And it's a season, right? Like it's a series is a culmination of eight months of work and effort and, I mean, I, I just think that competitively that it would be a bit of a joke. And, and um, you know, look, I don't think we've been that close yet, actually, in the playoffs. I mean, obviously, a couple situations where a guy leaves injured, like Ranta left injured in the game, Kemper, as I mentioned earlier. I suppose then you're only one more injury away from getting to e-bug territory. But let's uh, keep the fingers crossed here. Yeah. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm when I said the e-bug thing, it's not me wishing injury on anybody because, look, Wishing injury on anybody is not even a good thing to do anyway. It's just, you know, me trying to prognosticate, which doesn't always go that well anyway. And now it's time to talk to David Bastel from Sports Interaction. By the way, Sports Interaction, available for people 19 plus in terms of age. And of course, please, if you're going to play, play responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Big Money Siege, Florida Man Siege. Let's get through some of these big headlines from these playoff games. Let's talk a little bit more about that Tampa Toronto series. Uh, the fact that you can't tell who's the more dominant team after four games, that is really interesting to me. Like Toronto looks really good in one game and then Tampa just kind of corrects everything in game two. Then Toronto looks good again. And then within a few moments in game four, it's pretty much done and dusted. How do you see this best of three, which is what, Toronto and Tampa are pretty much left with playing out. Well, I think that, you know, basically it's the kind of series that makes you look bad. You know what I mean? Like, like if you had any prediction, if you say this has to happen for this team to win, like that hasn't been the case. I mean, Andre Vasilevsky is probably the goaltender you'd pick right now. We saw NHL players in the NHLPA pool. You know, if you one guy to win you a game or whatever, you'd want Vasilevsky. And, and he's been relatively human. You know, he's allowed 14 goals in four games. Uh, which is more than you would expect. And yet the series is still tied. And, you know, we've seen Jack Campbell pulled, but also have a shutout in the series. Um, you know, Matthews and Marner have produced offense and, and still the Leafs fans, I think, have a sense of like, oh, no, we're back to where we were before. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a tough one to call. And, and it's really hard to make sense of, of it because we've seen so many penalties. Again, I don't mean to harp on this, but to, to see this many power plays in games, like getting seven power plays in a playoff game, multiple playoff games, it's, it's you know, if, if that continues to happen with two teams that have these power plays, you know, who am I going to say is going to win? Is it going to be the night when Kucherov throws daggers through your heart? Uh, or is it going to be the night when, you know, Austin Matthews and, and Mitch Marner connect on a couple power play goals, which, you know, we saw one in the series anyway. So it's, it's to me, it's, it's a bit of a, it's the chaos series we thought it was going to be. We just didn't know it was going to be chaotic in this way. And, you know, I, I thought maybe some close games. I thought maybe we'd see a high-scoring game, like a 6-5 type of game. But it's, it's usually been one team runs away from the other. Um, so, you know, we saw Tampa get to seven in game four. Otherwise, it's taken five goals to win each of the, the first three games. Um, 
man, it's it's just been strange. And the Leafs do feel like they're I mean, this is the moment they wanted, I would say. They didn't want to get here this way, of course. Like in you'd rather win, you'd rather play a great game four and, and get up three one again. And everyone say, Well, this time can you close it out at three one? But you know, they've said all year that they're a different team, that they're not the, the same group of guys that lost meekly to Montreal in game seven and game five against Columbus in the play in and the bubble and a couple game sevens in Boston where they really didn't bring their best. Um, and now they get a chance to prove it. And, and if they don't, and if they go down quietly, I, I don't even know, like, obviously it's about winning the series, you know, wins are what matter, but I, I do think there's an element of how they play that, that matters. These, these big games. Um, because if, if you see another sort of freebie handover victory to the Lightning like they gave in game four, I mean, I, I just – I don't know how long you can keep coming back with the same thing. Uh, and it's not to – I think sometimes people have got ahead of themselves on that. But, you know, at a certain point, I just think you, you that, that management's going to get to a breaking point. And so you want to think positively. If you want to want to put some good energy in the air for our man Steve Dangle and a lot of other people that care about this team, it, this will be the moment that they push through the doubt and whatever has held them back in the past, and they, they play their best games and, and find a way to move on. And if it goes the way it's gone before, if this is the same old movie again, my goodness, it's going to be a difficult locker clean-out day, a difficult week or two or three after the season to, to chart a way ahead because I don't, I, I don't think you can just assume it'll be different next time. I mean, they – Look, they, they objectively had a better year in every way you would measure that, whether it's things like specialty teams, rankings, or some of the individual performances, or points, or wins, regulation wins. Like, literally, any way you would cut this, the Leafs had a better season than they had in the previous years. And but if it ends up in the same result, I mean, oof. let's uh, be watching on Tuesday night, my friend, because – it, it, it's the, as the as the Leafs turns takes its next episode in Game Five. Oh, I can't wait for that episode. As someone who is just in it to see people just yeah. go crazy, win or lose for Toronto, but also seeing how Tampa Bay, if they are able to somehow mount an effort to not only win this series but win a three-peat, I am all the way intrigued for how this series goes down. I, I just think with the Leafs, I think the you're right. Like they've had all these improvements from year after year after year. They just can't get rid of those demons and we don't need to rehash demons all over again. Like the one thing I just keep thinking about with this team though, throughout the year, you know, you've mentioned with management, they kind of don't see like this as like a all in like win now year, maybe next year has to be it. But I have to imagine, and I think you're alluding to, to it a bit too, like the expectations have to change a little bit with how they view the roster, depending on how this series could go, if it doesn't go the way that it wants to. We're not trying to say it's over or anything like that. It's just, uh, two, two. it's a crucial time. It's 2-2. Two, two. Like they, they need to win game five and six, as far as I'm concerned. Right. They've got a, such a great opportunity in front of them. You know, like they're playing an awesome team, the Lightning. And it's two, two with two home games, potentially you got to win one of the next two, but yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's so much, they, they can erase, I guess, a lot of this conversation or push it to the background. I mean, look, Tampa faced these very questions, right? Tampa was a team for a lot of years that, that couldn't kind of get over the hump. I mean, they, they certainly went on longer playoff runs and we've seen Toronto do so far. Uh, but, but they were a really good team for a long time before they won those two cups. And, you know, Washington is another team that, that, were, you know, winning president's trophies and losing in round one or round two, you know, for a long time until they did. And, and so I think that's where the Leafs management has been is that they, they just look at these kind of examples. And there are many others across sports, you know, not, not just in hockey, where you, you got to remain patient, even as everyone loses their heads. Um, but if they just if they just go down meekly, I think that's that's kind of where I'm at. I, I don't I don't know how you don't at least look at a change or two. Uh, of of some significance. Now, it's not to look. It's not to say they're going to do that. I, 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 but it would be very difficult to roll back the same thing. I think if if this just if they lose another couple of games in in a seven three kind of manner, like you know they were down, you know they they were out of that game after eight minutes in game four. Like they were toast, and they they just can't lose that way. I mean they can if they do though. It'll be chaos, but. You know, 
the other, the other side of this coin is there's two teams in a series that want to win. And I, I'm so impressed by the Lightning. I'll give you an example. Julian. Like, like, I've been around a lot playoffs a long time. So game four yesterday, Sunday, John Cooper didn't even make his players come to the rink before the game. Like, he gave them a total, like, just you can just stay at home and show up for the game. And I don't think really most coaches wouldn't do that, probably just because it's the way it's always done, that you kind of have a morning skate or at least a morning meeting. You know, it's about, you know, staying focused and having a ritual, a routine, making sure everyone's mind's in the right place, showing them a little bit of video, maybe reinforce them with a certain message. And the Lightning are just like, you know what? It's Mother's Day. Just stay home if you want or come to the rink if you want. I mean, what trust he has in his players, right, that they will do whatever they need to do on their own time. You know, that's it's sort of like not babysitting. Right. And they come out and deliver a first 10 or 15 minutes the way they did. And really wasn't any let up in the game. I know the Leafs scored, you know, three goals in the third period, but there was no doubt about who was winning that game from eight minutes on in. And so that's a team that's figured out how to do it and they had to figure it out. So now if you want to cast that on Toronto, they have to figure out how to play with that same level of urgency and execution. I think that that is the key. If you, if you see it, then play awesome and lose. I think again, fans will be disappointed, but I think you can get, okay, they're starting to get there, but they have to show it because that game four looked a little too familiar for anyone who's watched this core play some big games and, and, you know, have a prosperous opportunity and fumble it away. And my goodness, they, they fumbled another one in that game. Yeah. And, and one other thing too, for how this, the remainder of the series could go, Austin Matthews and, and Mitch Marner, they also need to be on. They haven't been off in the games where they've looked good. They've, they've been able to produce, but uh, if they end up being neutralized for the rest of this series, I think a lot more criticism is going to come the way of the Leafs. That can't happen. Not for them. You wouldn't think, you know, Ross Colton scoring big goals though for, for the lightning. And Ross David the Cullen. boss. David Camp's got a few goals for the Leafs. Like, like I think those players just have to play well. Honestly, I, it's, it's so easy. And I'm sure people are writing this story today in Toronto. Like, John Tavares has to score three goals for the Leafs to win the series. It's like, okay, if John Tavares does score those three goals, their chances of winning the series are better. But I actually think it because it's a bit of a misnomer. I think the truth is they just have to find a way to, to keep the puck out of their own net. I mean, a team like the Leafs is going to score goals. I mean, they still scored three goals in game four in garbage time, essentially. Like, they, there's no doubt they can score. And, and as I said, they've, they've made Vasilevsky look human. But they have to, they have to be committed. You know, when, when the Lightning get the four check going like they did in game four, like Toronto didn't know how to get out of its own end. They were swimming without a paddle, man. And so, you know, I, I think that they have to deliver a level of urgency and have good shift after good shift after good shift. And, and so that to me, honestly, is more important than who scores the goals. And, and, you know, I know we can say, oh, this guy makes 11 million and this and this and that. Like lots of teams, you know, Pittsburgh Penguins have one playoff series where Sidney Crosby didn't have a crazy offensive series. Now they've won playoff series where he had like dueling hat tricks with Alex Ovechkin and, and was a, a, an offensive star. You know, I just think sometimes we overlook the fact that you need great team play by your guys that play the most minutes. And it's not always just about scoring goals. And so I think you want to see the Leafs, if you're in that, that organization, if you're a fan, you want to see those players dictate the terms. You want to see them be on it not be sitting back waiting for something good to happen, but, but, you know, really asserting themselves. And, you know, it's not like Nikita Kucherov scoring every big goal for, for Tampa, you know, Steven Stamkos scored a big goal in game four. He opened the scoring a minute in, that was his first goal in the series. And, and everyone, you know, most people are probably looking at this like the lightning have a great chance to win. And so you want to see a guy like John Tavares have a big moment, but he doesn't have to carry the team. Even Austin Matthews. I mean, you know, he's already had a few big moments in the series, but, it's not yes. about him getting three points every game. I think it's it's about them making the lightning uncomfortable. It's about forcing them into mistakes. It's about having good shift after good shift after good shift and, and maintaining a sense of belief in what you do because that didn't look like a team that had a lot of – they didn't look like – I know they had a plan. They didn't look like they had a plan, right? They didn't execute a plan in the way they played in game four. And so that's why this game five will be absolute must-watch TV if you – you know, if you're at all interested in this story, either as a fan or someone who likes seeing chaos in Toronto or whatever, whatever your, your side you're taking, I just think that game five will be fascinating social experiment to see what, what version of the Leafs show up. Speaking of chaos, as we move from one series to another, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes and the Boston Bruins, that series is all tied up at two. 
But one back and forth that seems to be brewing is the uh, brewing rivalry between Tony D'Angelo and Brad Marchand. Brad Marchand, by the way, going off in game four when the team needs him the most. A five-point game for Brad Marchand and a back and forth between him and TDA. Uh, Did you catch any of the reactions on Twitter before the Lightning game? Like, What's your thoughts on that? Well, the perfection line's back, baby. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the Bruins, Bruins look pretty good. Pretty amazing, too, Julian. I would say that within one week, I felt awful about my Bruins in six pick, and now I'm feeling pretty good about my Bruins in six pick, all within the span of a couple of days. That's that's the playoffs in a nutshell. Um, Marshan doesn't surprise me. Like, we're talking about gamers. The Bruins are full of gamers. You know, those guys show up. They've had a lot of long playoff runs. They know what it takes at this time of year, and they needed to win that game, I think. Uh, you know, there, there's obviously a chance to come back if they had gone down 3-1, but, but it's a totally different series now. I think there's questions about, you know, the Hurricanes goaltending to a certain degree. I mean, Carolina didn't play poorly in game four, but, you know, took some penalties that, that got them in trouble, and just, you know, some of the details were a little bit off, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like they didn't, it wasn't a no-show game or anything like that. And so I think that's it's an interesting series. And, and again, momentum swinging all over the place there. And, and Carolina, you know, they've won series, but, you know, this is a big test for them, especially with some of the question marks about their goaltending and who's who's going to play net the best way to, to proceed with that. You know, because Frederick Anderson carried the ball for them all season before getting injured late in the year. That is true. Uh, I'll just add this, though, and you don't have to get into it if you don't want to just the thing that just intrigued me the most is, is that one back and forth with, with D'Angelo Marchand, where a lot of people are trying to lip read with Brad Marchand. I can't confirm if Marchand, in fact, said TDA is racist. It's just that a lot of people latched onto that and made that into a big, big thing. And regardless of how you skew it, that is going to be a a storyline that is going to continue for the rest of the series, how those two are going to go out. Even at near the end of the game, as Marshawn is just, as the Bruins are icing the game, Tony D'Angelo chucking his stick to try to prevent Brad Marshawn from scoring. Like that is, those are things that are going to persist in a rivalry between two players. Those are things that stick out in a rivalry like that. It's that, that's something that obviously stood out to me these last, in the last day. And it's Jeff fuel for Marshawn. Like he loves this stuff. Sort of like, Corey Perry in his prime and, and Perry's still doing it. Look, he scored a goal in the Leafs series here, uh, scored two, but scored one in game four. But when those guys, when they're getting under the skin, when they're, they're playing their best, they're producing offense. I mean, this is that that's, that's the dream scenario for the, the Bruins. Obviously you don't want to see him go too far, but I mean, that's, that's what Brad Marchand does. And he's, you know, I've said it before. I think he's going to hockey all fame. Honestly, if you look at his career and, and where the numbers are trending towards if he, you know, he's just a fantastic player. And, and, World-class shift disturber, too. (laughs) I see what you did there. Let's talk about Pittsburgh and the New York Rangers. I have to say, I wasn't sure the Pittsburgh Penguins were going to have a serious lead like how they have on the New York Rangers, especially on the way that they've had it. Uh, Tristan Jari not being available to them as of this recording. Who knows how that injury front's going to look. Casey DeSmith out. Louis Domingue being put in. And Sidney Crosby, all the while, still having a great series for them. What do you think of the Penguins and the way they've been playing in this series against the Rangers so far? Well, you know, I think a lot of people slept on the Penguins a little bit. Um, Absolutely. You know, to me, they actually had a pretty good year. Um, they're, they're, not, they're not sort of the, the team they were five years ago when they were you know, winning the Stanley Cups. But, you know, these, these guys know how to get the job done. And so... I would not have probably predicted this. If you told me Louis Domingue was going to start multiple games in the series, I would have probably thought it was going the wrong way for, for Pittsburgh uh, with respect to Louis Domingue, but, you know, sort of a journeyman who's, who's not been delivered in these moments in the past, not really been given a chance to earn the chance to, um, but full credit to, to Pittsburgh. And, and, you know, they're, they're scoring goals. And, you know, I think that's the key because Shesterkin, I think we all thought is, was a potential sort of, X factor flip, flip the series one way or the other. And, and you know, Penguins are in a great spot now to, to finish this thing off. And, and so, you know, I'm not surprised that they, if, that they could win the series, but you know, you're right. Maybe the way they've, they've won a couple of games, um, you know, even when they've lost that, you know, the one, the one got away from them a little bit, but it's, uh, it's, it's like turn back the clock here. We got the Capitals and the Penguins still still at it. Ovechkin and Crosby still 
make a noise in like year 17 or whatever we're at. Uh, and I, I think it's kind of cool that you, you contrast that with some of the, the younger players making their, their presence felt on the stage too. Am I a hater for wanting the Rangers to win? Because as cool as a story of, of the Penguins coming back from their last dance tour, the Rangers also kind of represents like a new era, like newer teams kind of stepping up and, and, and considering themselves as contenders. Like I get the Pittsburgh Penguins story is cool. I just want to see different teams just step up and win these rounds. No, I don't think that makes you a hater. I, I, I can, I can understand that. I mean, I don't, I don't have any strong feelings one way or the other, but you know, I, we're talking about Boston, Pittsburgh and Washington again. Like these are three teams for the last 10 years or more. have been making big, big playoff moments. Right. And, and so of course, that the flip side of that is there's a lot of teams who haven't been getting that chance. And so whether it's Carolina or Toronto or uh, the Rangers here, maybe you think this way about L.A., you know, they're, they're, they're bouncing back. That You know, they, they were up and then they've been down. Um, you know, I think it's good for the league to have some degree of turnover and, and have success come back on you. But, I mean, look, that series isn't done yet. I, I just don't know if the Rangers are quite ready. Is, is sort of my feeling about them. It, it's not that I, I think as an organization they're on a great track, but um, just feels like maybe this isn't quite yet their time, but let's wait and see. They still got to play the games. And, and you know, Shesterkin is a great goaltender. Obviously, there's some difference makers on their side, Panarin, Zabinijad, um, and, and all that. That is true. Um, I want to move on quickly to uh, Colorado and Nashville. Uh, looks as it, it's it, there's a very good possibility the Colorado Avalanche could handle their business, and uh, the Predators won't be in the playoffs that long. But uh, still, a cool story seeing Connor Ingram getting to play. I just want to shout out my colleague Adam Vingan at the Athletic wrote a great story on uh, Connor's parents. Uh, the story is called "Predators Goalie Connor Ingram's Breakout Game." as seen through his parents' eyes. And that references Ingram playing in game two of that series against the Avalanche here. I mean, fun to see Connor Ingram Ingram play, but what a dominant display by the Colorado Avalanche so far. Yeah, the Avs are what we thought they were um, so far in the series. You know, offensively, they just feel inevitable. You know, there was the one close game, the overtime game. Uh, but even that night, like, Kale McCarr had, like, 10 shots on net or something. Um Look, the, the, the bigger test for the Avalanche is still to come. I, I'm I am willing to pronounce this one over. I think I predicted it to be a sweep. Doesn't mean it'll be a sweep, too. but but you know, like a lot of us looked at the series and with UC Soros being out of the mix, it was just going to be hard to chart a path for Nashville to win. They've shown some fight, have the predators, but I just think they're overmatched here by a superior opponent. And look, it wouldn't surprise me one bit to see the Colorado Avalanche in the Stanley Cup final this spring. So you know, they, they've got they've got bigger goals and, and the, the quicker they get through the series with Nashville, likely the better. Just just a little bit more rest, chance to heal the bodies, you know, see where Darcy Kemper's at after taking that stick, you know, in the in the area near his eye and, and you know, load up to, to be ready for, for the future rounds. I believe we both considered uh, not only the Colorado Nashville series to go Colorado's way in a sweep. But correct me if I'm wrong, I think we thought Dallas and uh, Calgary not only would go Calgary's way, but also as a sweep. At least I did. I had flames in five, so I can't be right. Okay, so gentlemen's sweep at the very least. So it's a surprise to both of us, I'm sure, that the Dallas Stars have a 2-1 series lead. And uh, Johnny Gaudreau said this over the weekend. I think we were kind of underdogs all year. Nobody expected us to be where we're at right now. So just keep that same mindset like we've had all year, and I think we'll be fine. Fair or foul at Johnny Gaudreau saying that uh, the Flames have been considered underdogs all year? I think it's fair enough. I mean, I don't read too much into quotes sometimes in the playoffs because I, I feel like what they are is it's a reflection of what the team's telling itself, right? And so if they feel that, you know, maybe they were overlooked. I mean, not a lot of people are predicting they would have the kind of season they, they did. I think that's probably what what he means. You know, but at the same time, they're clearly not an underdog in this series. Maybe they are now because they're down 2-1 and, and having trouble scoring goals. And, and you're seeing sort of that Dallas Stars hockey that, that propelled them to a cup final in the bubble in, in August 2020, you know, just how tight they can play. Um, you know, there, there's reason now to maybe have some more doubts about the Flames, but, you know, they were pretty – 
prohibitive favorite in this this series. I still think they should be, um, but huge huge game four. You know, clearly that they they you know want to avoid going in that hole and and need to find a way to stick with it and, and not get too discouraged and um you know let their star players do what they do. I mean, th- those guys scored a lot of goals this year. And they also did a good job all season of keeping it out of their net. And so I, I, I do think that it's been a pretty, maybe surprisingly or not, but but vicious series or like there's a lot of edge and animosity in the games and, and it's highly contested. And, you know, we'll see if the Flames are underdogs or not in game four. Yeah, I'm, I'm just glad there's goals because after the first two games, there were two goals between both teams after two games. So thank God both teams decided to make their series a little bit more interesting. And there were like seven expected goals or something, which is remarkably low too. Like there was, it's not just there weren't goals. There weren't a lot of chances. It wasn't just because the goaltenders were, were on some crazy bender. It was, there just wasn't a lot of offense being generated from spots where players are expected to score. So we'll move on from that to the St. Louis, Minnesota series where Billy Husso's out. Jordan Bennington comes in. Jordan Bennington gets his first playoff win since the 2019 cup run and the blues and the wild are tied at two. This is going seven. I said it would go seven. I don't, it's just been a seesaw battle between those two sides, all series. It has. And then, you know, St. Louis is dealing with all kinds of injuries on the blue line. Like already having your depth tested this early in the playoffs is a difficult spot to be in. Um, you know, I, I'm with you. I, I feels like seven game seven is going to be in Minnesota. If it happens, I still like the wild in the series, but, you know, St. Louis is, is pushed back pretty good. And so, you know, maybe Jordan Biddington can channel some of those, those big cup vibes uh, and, and harness what he did back then. Um, but, you know, this, this is uh, this one still got some, some time left to go. I would think I, I don't, I don't see either team bending or folding, you know, it's, it's just going to be who can, who can deliver the biggest moments here in, in these last three games. I was wondering, uh, going transitioning over to the Kings Oilers series, game four was a golden opportunity for the Oilers to take that 3 1 series lead. And the Kings, another team in this postseason where maybe they're not necessarily ready for the bright light. Maybe they are in hindsight. Who knows? That series is also tied at two. Yeah, it reminds me of the Leafs. It's hard, it's hard for me to separate the Oilers and the Leafs. Like it feels like the same kind of dynamic. Um, you know, like just such a big moment for their group to go home for game five. Like, you know, you really, you want to remove doubt from that game. If you're them, um, you know, they've won some lopsided games and, and, you know, they're still down there. So they're still tied two two. feels like they're down in a sense. You know, I expected this to be tougher though. That, that was the one prediction I, I stuck with on this series. I, I didn't think the Kings were just going to go away easy and um, you know, the Oilers are going to have to earn this, but, but, you know, they're, they're still also in a good spot with, with home ice advantage, with having some of the, the best players in the world on their side. And, and um, it's really about how they manage the pressure and the expectations and everything. I think that that will determine, you know, how this thing goes. But, you know, Todd McClellan called a shot. He said, we're not just here for the experience or whatever at the start of the series. We're here to win it. And the Kings very much have a chance to do that. Absolutely. And if it doesn't go their way for that core, which – a lot of people are expecting the Kings to be better in the years to come. That's a series they can hold on to for experience and know that they did pretty well against a team that was expected to beat them. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. The last playoff series we have to get to, there's a potential for the upset of the playoffs here. The Washington Capitals knock off the Florida Panthers. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was talking to an executive for another team yesterday whose team didn't make the playoffs, and he's like, you know, you guys will all say this is would be this huge upset. And he's like, but both teams had 100 points. He's like, really, what's the difference? You know, did Florida win more games in a shootout or overtime? I actually didn't go look that up. But I guess the, the point he was making is that the East is so close that no one should be surprised if anyone beats anyone. Uh, that being said, I believe I took Florida in five. So, again, another another prediction gone wrong for, for the siege. Um and, you know, I think the most concerning thing for me about the Panthers isn't just they're down to one. I, they've been outplayed, you know, more often than they've, they've outplayed the opponents. They, they've, they've not played their best. And so that's, that's a tough spot for an organization. Again, not, they haven't gotten over the hump. Those guys haven't won playoff series. It's such an amazing season, but they're, they're in real upset territory now. And I, I think the Capitals smell blood. So, um, 
why this why you watch the playoff games because you, you can't you got to throw out the regular season records to a certain degree once we get to this this time of the year and and the truth of the matter is Florida has not played its best game uh, we've seen their offense kind of go a little bit dry and, and they're just not they're not controlling the puck enough and so um, now now they put themselves in a position where the Capitals who wanted no part of this series initially like I think they wanted to try to climb up and not not be in the wild card position. They've already played both goalies in their series due to performance reasons, and yet they have a two-one lead. I mean, that's that's a pretty good good set of circumstances for Peter Laviolette's team. Even though there is that uh, there is the point made about the fact that both teams are hundred-point teams, you mentioned it, the offense for Florida drying up in this series, but it was as good as it was in the regular season for a reason. They were a dominant force in the regular season, and it would be a huge upset to see them go down against a good Washington Capitals team, but a team that should still be on the other side of that kind of cup contender status where they're on the way out. It would be a massive failure again for an, another president's trophy winning team uh, where it seems as if there's could be like a curse with that. You know, if you win it, it's not, it, obviously it's not a guarantee you win the cup, but like feels like a bit of a burden at this point. Well, do you know, what's very much in play here. You could have the four teams that started their series on the road in the East win, man. You know? Boston is in position to do that against Carolina. Again, no guarantee, but but it's, it's certainly possible. You know, we could see Toronto losing the series to Tampa. We could see Pitt, you know, had to play the first two games at MSG, winning that series. And you could see Washington that went on the road to Florida. I mean, that the, the four lower seeds, it's, it's still in play that, that they could all win. Just that, that to me does underline how close the conference is. That, that you know, point totals aside, I don't think there's a whole lot to choose between the, the, the teams in this, this conference. Boston, Tampa Bay, Washington, Pittsburgh. We're not just talking about teams who started their series on the road. We're talking about some of the better franchises over the last decade in the stamp in the, in the national hockey league. And all those teams have won Stanley cups. So maybe some people might not be nearly as surprised. Right. And played for Stanley cups and always are there played in the conference final a whole whack of times. Um, yeah, so maybe we're going to get, you're, you're cheering for the new guys to break through and, and it might just be the old standbys that, that, that pull it off. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, uh, we had to run through all those series. Now it's time for us to get through a quick ask CJ, uh, shout out to everyone who sends in their questions on Twitter and on discord as well. Uh, one thing we'll do too, I'll mention this as well. Uh, I noticed, I know some of the award nominations are starting to come out for some of the major awards. We'll, we'll start to kind of mention them a little bit like later on, like I'll meet on the Thursday episode or a little later on down the road, but we know that is to come. Um, I'll bring up this question first uh, from Samuel Fleming on Twitter. So what are your thoughts about the American Stanley Cup TV broadcasts? I've got a chance to watch a little bit because I was in Tampa here the last few days. Uh, I have to say, I really like what TNT is doing. Like, I, mm-hmm. I like broadcast. I, th- I would say that Wayne Gretzky is being – the fact he's willing to say stuff is interesting. You know, you got one of the, the goats of the sport who's on there and, like, calling it like it is. You know, I think Biz Nasty is pretty entertaining on there. Rick Tockett is an under, underrated part of their broadcast. Um, and so I, I've, I've actually quite enjoyed getting a chance to watch some of the TNT because, you know, during the regular season, the truth was I just didn't see a whole lot. Of, it's not as available up in Canada. And, and so, you know, I don't, I'm not as familiar with, I know a lot of these people, I guess, personally, but I, I don't, I haven't been familiar with what the, the two networks have done. I've actually just by chance seen less of the ESPN coverage, not because I've been avoiding it, but I always like seeing my friend Emily Kaplan on there. And, and um, you know, so I'll, I'll give some thoughts on ESPN when I, when I watch, but it just seems for whatever reason, the nights I've been off and watching games, they've been the ones that have been on TNT or TBS down here. And, and, Really, honestly, they have fun. I think that any anything that showcases a sport as fun is, is a positive. And I think that that's what that broadcast in general does a good job of. Well, shout out Anson Carter, too, on that TNT panel. He's also doing a good job. Uh, but also, just for what I've seen off the ESPN broadcast, I've really enjoyed them, too. Uh, the intermission panels with Steve Levy and, and Mark Messier and Chris Chelios. They've, they've done a pretty good job as well. John Butchagross on his calls. He's been great, too. And Sean McDonough, I mean, got to shout out the Syracuse alum here. Also uh, doing a good job. Have to do that. So ESPN, I think they've been doing all right. Did you see um, Wayne Gretzky had a World Series ring from the Atlanta Braves? 
No, I did not know that. Yeah, he was wearing it on the set. He didn't he didn't tell the whole story, but but the Atlanta Braves gave him a World Series ring. And and uh, they joked like you went to one game and you got a World Series ring. But anyway, it was it was still kind of cool. But I, I don't know the backstory. We're gonna have to do some digging there. That and Jeff okay. Carter's middle name. We'll get there. <sighs> you tease. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, from Jay Braderi0825, are you a breast or thigh man? Chicken, of course. Be careful like about how you answer this one. I like a chicken breast. Yeah, me too. Big chicken. Chicken breast. Just want to make that clear for everyone listening. Uh, from Mike Lang6613 on Discord, when you go for runs at home, CJ, do you use the same route every time or do you try and switch it up? I like to use more or less the same one every time. Um, I know that that makes me a weirdo, but I, I like to think the less thinking, the better. So if I just have a route um, for me, it's, it's just an out and back. So if I want to go a little farther, I just run farther before I turn back and go back the same way. But generally I, I like the same route uh, because I kind of shut my brain off and just do it. It's almost feels automatic. Uh, although it's funny, I did three runs in Tampa this week and I did three completely different routes each time. You know, I've been down here enough. I, I know different ways to go in different places, but I, I, I mixed and matched well in Tampa. So I don't know. I don't know really know why that was. It wasn't like a deep thought thing, but got here and just wanted to see different parts of the city. Last one for you from NL Domar. Uh, this guy's actually from the Netherlands and he actually put together like an interesting Excel spreadsheet, but uh, I'm not going to go through all the details of it. But his general question is, do you think a different point system would ever be implemented in the NHL? I think it, it, there's a chance we'll see it. I mean, look, the league discussed it way back in 2004-05. They, they made a whole bunch of changes that year that they had the year-long lockout. And that was one of the changes that was on the table. They ultimately didn't take the plunge. But the fact that it's been discussed at a level where it was in consideration, I see no reason why you might not see it again. You know, it's pretty clear that Gary Bettman likes this system. He likes his playoff format, which we've talked about. Um, you know, I, I, he likes the point system. So I think as long as the current leadership of the league is unchanged, you, you won't see that sort of change. But, you know, fresh ideas, new blood will, will come in at some point. Um I don't think it's it's a hot take to say that a commissioner that's been on the job 25, 30 years, he's not, you know, he's not going to do it forever. And so there, there will be some some turnover there. And so I do think at some point in the future, some version of the three, two, one will at least be examined again. Um, because, it, you know, I, I think that there's there's a case to be made for it. Um, but the league likes the league likes things to be tight. Oddly enough, this year we didn't wasn't that tight, you know. Islanders missed the playoffs by like 20 points. They have the next lowest team after the, those eight in the East. So, um, you know, over time, I, I do think you'll see changes. I mean, look, the league's changed. All, the point system's changed multiple times in my lifetime, right? There, there used to be ties when I was a kid. Then they went to, to you know, points for a loss. And then, then they were sorry, an overtime loss. And they added a shootout. And now a shootout loss. So I think it'll be changed again. So – we're doing this recording after we recorded today's CJ show. Barry Trotz has been let go uh, as head coach of the New York Islanders. Stunning development around the hockey world. CJ, what's your reaction to this? Well, this is a first. An add-on to our episode, and I'm doing it from the airport. So that shows how big the news is. And, yes. Uh, you know, it's funny. I got a couple texts right when this went down. Like, people who work for other teams are just shocked by it. Um, apparently already within, you know, the first, whatever it's within an hour of this news being announced, there's already been teams that have reached out to inquire about Barry Trotz to his agent. You know, I think a lot of people are still trying to get their minds around what went on here. I mean, we're talking about a guy in three seasons with the Islanders, you know, twice went to the, the conference final and lost to the team that, that won the Stanley cup guy won a Jack Adams trophy a couple years ago, even this year. You know, obviously the Islanders missed the playoffs, but, you know, they, they started with a long road trip while they were waiting for Barclays uh, to, to get opened up. They, I think they played 50 games in their last 99 days of the season just because of COVID shutdowns and everything. So, you know, pretty difficult circumstances for him. And, and so I, I think that this is this is even among this year where we've seen so many coaches lose their jobs and, and have uncertain futures. Th this is a surprise even in that environment. I don't think very many people thought the Barry Trotz would become available. Like. One, why are they doing this now? Well, there was an opportunity maybe to do it as soon as the season was over. Why do it now? Two, you mentioned it. That road trip at the beginning of the year kind of hurt them, and they still tried to be competitive near the end of the year. They were just 
too many points away from the threshold to make the playoffs. Why should this all, I know you can't answer it, but why should this fall on Barry Trotz? Well, you know, two things stand out in my mind. Lou Lamorello told reporters that he felt this group needed a fresh voice. I mean, that's, it's not unusual. Uh, unfortunately, coaches are hired to be fired. It's a cliche, but it's true. If you, if you look around at the way things go, I mean, John Cooper's uh, the, the unusual one and that he's been, you know, over 10 years with one team. I mean, uh, shelf life of a coach is limited. I think the second thing that, that, you know, will become maybe a bit more apparent is, is you know, there's an associate coach with the Islanders, Lane Lambert, uh, whose name has been kicked around for other jobs. I, I believe you know, there's, there's lots of chatter out there that, that, you know, he's so in Detroit might be interested in at least having a discussion with about their uh, head coach opening. And so, you know, it's possible. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a combination of those factors. But there's even been some talk, too, though, that Barry Trotz is interested perhaps in a management type of a role versus a coaching role moving forward. And so, you know, I, I don't want to say too much because I really don't have the one answer. I don't know the exact story here. But, you know, I wonder maybe if, if Lou Amarello had some concern that, you know, maybe Barry Trotz just didn't have the juice for it anymore. You know, it's, it's hard to say. You know, one thing we know with Lou Amarello is we're never going to know. No, he's never going to be too expansive about what went on here. He, you know, he said he'd rather not get into the reasons for it. So we're, we're, we're left to speculate a bit, left to guess a little bit. Uh, but even with all these things said, it's, this is a surprising development, Julian. Yeah, like and on that with, with Barry Trotz and him being available, it wouldn't surprise me if every single team with a coaching vacancy, even teams who were thinking about letting some of their guys go would be reaching out to, to Barry Trotz saying, Hey, do you want to coach our team? This dude should be nabbed up by any team that could make him their head coach. Do you think someone in the playoffs would consider a mid series coaching change? That would be one of the wildest things ever. I, I don't ever see that happening, but that would be one of those wildest things you could imagine, but also Barry Trotz. I mean, it probably would mess up the feng shui a little bit, but again, Barry Trotz, who, who has a winning pedigree, has, has had the staying power. I think he, I'm sure he has the respect of a lot of players in the NHL. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if he's the guy you would consider doing that for, but like definitely teams who have coaches right now wouldn't surprise me if they at least questioned it, maybe not mid season, but maybe after this year, if the year doesn't go the way they want it to go. He'd be a clear upgrade on multiple coaches still coaching games right now. And, you know, I don't Absolutely. actually mean, I don't mean in this circumstance. I mean, I think it'd be awfully difficult to enter with a team you don't know and, and expect to have any success. But, you know, this this does alter some decision making. You know, you look at the Winnipeg Jets have a coaching opening. Barry's from Manitoba. You know, you wonder about the Vegas Golden Knights, where it's not yet clear if Pete DeBoer will be back. You know, would Kelly McCrimmon be interested in him? You know, Vancouver makes some sense. You know, a team like Florida even. You know, I know Andrew Burnett had such a great year stepping in for Joel Quenville. But, you know, he's still an interim coach. Uh, and look, someone's going to lose a playoff series in these next few days. And maybe they're going to be looking at a coaching change and see, you know, someone who's had the success of Barry Trotz. I mean, he won a Stanley Cup in 2018 and it's been a two conference final since then. I mean, th this guy's had all kinds of success. Obviously coached in Nashville forever before that. And so he's been in the league a long time. Uh, it, it's clear he's got the right mix of systems understanding, uh, the way he treats players and people on the team. I, I just think he's the total package. He's a, he's, he's a rock star as far as coaching goes. Um, and, and so, you know, now it's up to someone to, to convince him to stay. You know, he's also got one more year on his deal. He's getting paid $4 million bucks next year. So, you know, if he wants to take some time, he can take it. But my guess is we're going to know pretty quickly, you know, what his next move is because this man's got options. And, and dude is going to secure the bag because $4 million I mean, I think we do all right with $4 million, but some team is going to have to give him more than $4 million to make him kind of sway away from that. Right. Well, I mean, $4 million is his floor now. He's not making any less than that next year, and there's a chance he makes more, depending on who's, who's coming in to hire him. You know, you wonder who would be going in, in Long Island. If it's not Lane Lambert just getting promoted, I mean, is this, a, is this a shock the system kind of hiring, or are they looking at, at John Tortorella, Mike Babcock? I mean, you know, this is – it was already a strange kind of wild coaching market. This, this just adds another element because not only now does Barry Trotz potentially slide into another job, that could mean someone that we wouldn't have thought was going to lose their job, loses their job for them to hire Barry Trotz. And so the, the, the wheel is spinning pretty viciously at this point. You know, there was a number of coaches that were in lame duck seasons this year. And, and so stay tuned on the coaching market.
Oh, absolutely. We on the CJ show are going to be all over that when it comes time. Uh, this is wild. This is wild. The fact we were able to add this add on to this podcast episode. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, buddy. Let me let me get my my water bottle over to you. I gotta too. get home to my good good coffee. I'm I'm just slumming it with a Starbucks out here at Tampa International. Oh, also while you're here, you're wearing the bear hat. Can you tell everyone where the bear hat is from? North Standard, my people. Yes, North we have Standard to shout them out because people ask about the hat all the time. Siege, thank you for this add on. All right, flying home now. So no no more news today, please. Okay, no more news today. Okay, let's do it for real. For CJ, I'm Julian. For real now, we're saying so long and peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.